I'm Aaron Hinkin. This is the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. Hi, I'm Tracy Gossin, and my question is, whatever happened to the Baltimore Dollar House program, how did it end? And there's always questions about, could we do it again? And could we? How, how might that happen? Dollar Houses program. This is At some point, you could buy houses for a dollar in Baltimore City. Yes, apparently you did. Uh, I didn't live here in the time when they were doing this in the 70s and 80s, but when I um, ran Live Baltimore, which is a nonprofit promoting um, living in Baltimore City, you would hear a lot about it, right, as a way to um, kind of revitalize neighborhoods. And it, I mean, neighborhoods today that you see, like Otterbein and Fells Point, part of the reason they're like that is because of that. Buying a house for a dollar seems like a pretty good deal. I'll, I'll see if I can get to the bottom of this for you. Yeah, please do. And also, like, are people still living there? And just be curious to know um, all these years later uh, what the kind of lasting effect of it was. My name is Lily Hyman, and I live on Portland Street in Ridgely's Delight. You have a beautiful house. You bought this place for a dollar? Yes. <laughs> Tell me that story. Well, um, back in 75, uh, we had a friend who's working in the housing department told us about this program that was just starting up called the Dollar Homestead Program. At that time, we were living in Park Heights, and we were looking for a house in the city. My husband worked for the city highways, and I worked uh, at an insurance company downtown. So we took the day off and went down to the housing department and parked our cars, and we were surprised that they had a bus, a tour bus, waiting for all the people who were interested in the homestead program. So Lily and her husband got on the bus. The bus took them through some different neighborhoods where there were full blocks of vacant and condemned houses. Neighborhoods like Otterbein and Berry Circle. And then they rolled up to this neighborhood, Ridgely's Delight. So we came over here and there were 12 houses, empty houses available just on this street. And when we walked to the steps, we knew without going in, you know, you know, the spirit works. Uh, it, something touched us that this is the place. We got the house. We signed on the contract in 75. We moved in on my birthday, January 22nd, 1976. So Lily and her husband got the house for a dollar, but there were strings attached. The program had some rules. You had to agree to put in enough of your own money to renovate the house up to a standard that would satisfy a city inspector. To this end, the program offered you a low-interest loan of up to $30,000 to spend on whatever necessary improvements. They gave you six months from the time you signed the contract to get those repairs done, and then you moved in. And then you start paying on the loan. And actually, our mortgage payment was um, less than what we were paying in rent in Park Heights, our house in Park Heights. Eighteen months after you move in, your house gets assessed and property taxes kick in, and you promise to live there for at least five years. Lily Hyman has been in her house a little bit longer than that, 46 years now and counting. It's a, a red brick row house in the middle of the block, three floors, Four bedrooms, living room, dining room, kitchen, finished basement. But when the weather's nice, Lily likes to sit outside on a lawn chair on the sidewalk, surrounded by her potted plants, and talk with her neighbors. She remembers coming down here to check out the neighborhood right after they signed their contract on the house. We had a lot of elderly people, black and white, uh, living in, in, in the neighborhood. Um, 
just wonderful people. Our children still are friends with the children of the people who lived here. They grew up in this neighborhood. You don't just get a dollar house. You get a community of people. Talk to me about what this program has done as a wealth-building opportunity for the people who took that plunge mm-hmm. that 45 years ago. I mean, this place is probably worth more than a dollar now. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it certainly is, and, but I'm not going anywhere. But <laughs> I think it was a good deal. All right, we're going to head a couple of blocks west of Lily's house now, across MLK Boulevard, to meet another original dollar house homesteader. Hi, I'm Judy Alex Salza. I live on Berry Street in Berry Circle, which is in Pigtown, which is in the southwest section of Baltimore City. You have an absolutely beautiful house. You bought this house for a dollar. I got this house for a dollar, but it cost a whole lot more than that in blood, sweat, and tears. So this is probably a good moment to step in and talk about the amount of work that some of these dollar houses needed. Judy signed for her house in 1976, but it took a couple years before she could really move in. The place was basically a shell. Actually, a partial shell. It had to be gutted, and it was missing a roof and a front wall. She was just getting the ball rolling on the renovations. And then the rain started, and it rained 29 days out of the month for four months. After that four months, Judy now had a flooded partial shell of a house with damaged framing and a contractor who decided to bail on her. I liken it to childbirth. You know, it's really miserable to go through, but after it's all over, you're kind of glad. Judy got back on track with a new contractor who was willing and able to make her dream home a reality. I was lucky enough to have an architect who helped me design taking out all of the walls and opening it up so it it has that very modern, airy look that uh, you could see if this were on television. Well, it's uh, it's a podcast, but we can paint a picture with words. Let me have you... um Walk up your stoop with me, and we'll turn around and look through your doorway, and I'm going to have you explain what the inside of this place is all about. It's incredible. My architect opened up the whole place, so when I stand inside my front door, I can see all the way through my house on the first floor to the backyard. I can also look all the way up through two and a half floors to a skylight that is the width of the house. So it it really is almost cantilevered, and it's very, uh, very modern-looking, white and wood. Judy remembers there was a camaraderie on the block once the homesteaders started renovating and moving in. They were all in the same boat, starting fresh together in this place that had been abandoned. Some neighbors were sleeping in their houses on bedrolls before the heat and electricity were even set up. One guy slept in his bathtub because he hadn't renovated any other rooms in his house yet. And there were nice experiences like the first major snowfall. We knew the city wasn't going to do anything because there were hardly any of us here. So we started shoveling out the neighborhood. So you shoveled to the first house and then you went inside and had a drink. And then... (laughs) You shoveled to the next house, and you went inside and had a drink. Um, So I think they only got up halfway. (laughs) I don't remember the details. Um, But, you know, it was was and is a really diverse community. I mean, we have black, white, brown, yellow, gay, straight, divorced babies. I mean, it's, it's everything. It's been 42 years now since Judy bought her house for a dollar. She says the program was a total game changer for her and a lot of other women who were looking for independence 
and having trouble finding it. A large number of houses in this area are owned by single women. And I know for a fact that I could not have gotten a loan, even though I had a decent job. Uh, my sister and I had looked at a piece of property that we wanted to buy, and we went to the bank, and they said, well, we won't lend you the money. And the answer out in the open was, you're a female, and we do not lend uh, that kind of money to females. And it's like, <laughs> so that gave me that kind of independence, where I knew I had um, the equity that I could live the way I wanted as a, as a single female. You're listening to the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. More in a moment. Okay, so our listener who asked our question this episode, Tracy, wanted to know if there are still some original Dollar House homesteaders out here in Baltimore, and indeed there are, even now 40-plus years later. And Tracy, I should say, I also found you one of the original minds behind the creation of this whole historic Dollar House program. Can you hear me? Yes, hi. This is M.J. Brody, known as Jay. In the early 1970s, Jay Brody was the deputy commissioner of Baltimore's then newly formed Department of Housing and Community Development. Mr. Brody, by the way, is 85 years old now. I've been around forever. (laughs) Back in the day, Mr. Brody and his department were looking at urban homesteading programs in other cities like Wilmington, Delaware. And they started asking themselves, could something like this work in Baltimore? We said, well, try it. That was our answer to many things. Try it and see what happens. Jay Brody and his team had a couple of things working in their favor at that particular moment in Baltimore history. Number one, there were concentrated blocks of historic houses downtown that had been bought and condemned by the city to make way for a planned highway that was going to cut right through the Inner Harbor. That highway plan was scrapped thanks to the efforts of Senator Barbara Mikulski and community activists, So this concentrated, vacant, city-owned housing stock was just sitting there. And secondly, there was a lot of federal money available for housing programs at the time. Mr. Brody doesn't mind saying that he and his department were pretty good at shaking those trees. We were terrific at getting federal money. (laughs) And whatever program they had, we applied for it, and we, we did pretty well. So there was a federal low-interest loan program at the time called Section 312. It made loans available at 3%. And this was back during the Carter administration, when the prime rate was up in the teens. So the housing department put together this deal they advertised to middle-income people, where you could buy a house for a dollar if you also took one of these low-interest loans and put at least $30,000 of improvements into your home. And these places needed at least that much work. Some of the houses didn't have four walls. Some didn't have a roof. And we thought you were going to put fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 into these houses. And people did. By 1982, $550 houses had been bought and homesteaded in Baltimore. But that same year, the program was discontinued. Jay Brody was no longer with the housing department then. But he was constantly bombarded with the same question, why? People would ask me regularly, why isn't the city doing more homesteading? And I would say, call the housing department and ask them that. 
<laughs> so they would come back to me and say, well, the answer is there's no more federal money like that. And I would tell them, you know, we've stopped using federal money and, you know, got city bonds approved. So I think that's an excuse, not a reason. There's a difference in my vocabulary. Another reason or excuse, depending on how you look at it, was that the city's remaining vacants were now too spread out to create proper homesteading communities. Tyrone Boast has his own theory. The reason why it ended is because it worked. They had sold all the dollar houses they wanted to sell, and that was the end of <laughs> Mr. Boast is a minority housing contractor in Baltimore and the leader of an advocacy group called HOMES. That stands for Homeownership, Opportunity, and Mentorship for Economic Success. He wants the city to kickstart the Dollar House program with a twist. Mr. Boast says he'll mentor young people who are caught up in the justice system and using court-ordered diversion programs, he'll train them in the trades. He says he can get a home renovated for a fraction of what larger commercial developers can offer, but he is skeptical that he can get the ear of City Hall. Why would a developer, think about this, why would a developer want us to build something for $180,000 beside their $300,000, $280,000 houses a uh, whole block of houses for 180000 at 1% interest. That makes no sense. And then the city's getting their money back, too, on top of it. That when the city gives money to developers, they never get it back. The city has been doing things like giving people money, grants, to move to the city. That's not necessary. They've been, they've been also doing things like giving 10-year tax abatements. In other words, the most affluent people in this city aren't paying taxes for 10 years just to encourage them to move here. You don't have to do that. Off the dollhouse program, you sell these houses like hotcakes. And there's enough to go around. There's 16,000 vacants. So that's playful for the developers. If we got 5,000 of them, that would just put a small dent in them. It's an equity issue. Mary Pat Clark served for 32 years in Baltimore City Council, eight of those years as president. She's retired now, but she's currently working to get the housing department to pay attention to Tyrone Boast and the Homes Organization. You have people who were born and raised here who went on to become mainly professionals in the trades. They want to go back to where they came from, hire local young people from those neighborhoods, and do dollar housing for people who still live in the blighted neighborhoods with all the vacants. I mean, isn't that what we talk about all the time? It's equity squared. If we offer these dollar houses up, there'll have to be a lottery to get rid of them. Just like the last program, they had to do a lottery, give them away fairly. So... We can, we can fool around and play these games with developers and try to sell overpriced row houses and see if somebody will say, well, maybe they'll hit and miss whatever. Well, we can do this thing and guarantee the sales of houses and repopulating Baltimore and rebuilding the tax base. It's been before the housing department. I've been to many meetings with the homes group and the city housing leaders. And ironically, ironically enough, Time after time, they're sent out to find a block to get started with, and they'll come back and and housing will say, no, 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 we have other plans for that. We're demolishing those houses. We're not having them rehabbed. So basically, imagine this. It's hard to find vacant houses. (laughs) So the person who originally asked me the question that started this story was uh, someone who asked, you know, what was the Dollar Houses program in Baltimore, and, you know, could it ever come back? It sounds like you're saying it's logistically possible to make it come back, but politically, who knows? It has to have the mayor's intervention in order for it to happen. If the mayor's not on board, if the mayor really 
But if the mayor really, and if you're listening, Mr. Mayor, if you're really honest about what you're saying about equity, this is the way to do it. This is the only real way to do it. If you want equity for the citizens of Baltimore, if you want jobs and jobs training to break, to reduce the crime and recidivism in Baltimore, this is the way to go about it. And, um, you know, what we're doing has not worked. Think about it. We've been tearing down all these houses in the black community for the past uh, few years. Has crime gone down? Has the murder rate been reduced? So what we're doing is not working. We're just spending a bunch of money, giving people tax breaks and, and then paying them cash money to move to the city of Baltimore. That does not work. It hasn't worked. So that's the message to the city from Tyrone Boast and the Homes Group. And it sounds like someone is maybe listening. We have been meeting regularly with Tyrone Boast and the Homes Organization. And we're eager to put together a pilot that could work. This is Kate Edwards. She's acting deputy commissioner for the Development Division in Baltimore's Department of Housing and Community Development. It's a complicated process, so we have to figure out because it's not just identifying the houses. It's not just working with the communities to make sure that they're comfortable with the program as well. It is also identifying the financing for this project. So this project is very complicated. And we want to make sure that it's done well and done right. And we do have, you know, certain knowledge from the inside on how to make that happen. And we have ideas on how to make that happen. So I think it's just a matter of getting to a middle ground that we can all agree on. So we want to make sure that in this day and age, we put together a 21st century dollar homes program that could be successful and that looks at all of the changes in both our economy, our political landscape, our availability of vacant houses and takes all that into consideration and comes up with a model that's really going to work. Okay, at this point, I want to revisit the original question from Tracy Gossin that kicked off this episode of the podcast. Here it is. Whatever happened to the Baltimore Dollar House program? How did it end? And there's always questions about could we do it again? And could we? How might that happen? Tracy, you asked the question, and I think you've just heard the Deputy Housing Commissioner deliver a lengthy and politically astute answer that we can probably boil down to one word, which is maybe. What are you left thinking, Tracy, at the end of this episode about the past and possible future of the Dollar House program in Baltimore? So first of all, I loved that story. I, you know, when you hear about these kind of programs the city does, the thing we always leave out is the people part. And so, yes, people got houses, but the story of how it affected their lives, I mean, I just love that. So, yay, it had lasting effect. And I love that some people are still there. You know, the optimism of Jay Brody and Mary Pat Clark is just incredible. I mean, these people are so tenacious. We owe so much of the success of the city to them and people like them. And, you know, the thing that really sticks with me is Jay Brody's comment. Try it and see what happens. I think we've lost so much of that spirit. We just get bogged down and kind of process. And like, where is this visionary spirit leadership, which leads to Tyrone's comment of, again, yes, we can build houses and do things, but how can we have a bigger effect? I mean, this workforce training piece is so important. And I mean, If I was running the city, I would just put somebody in charge and say, make it happen. I want to see it roll out in six months. I mean, let's do it. Tracy Gossin, thank you for an excellent question and uh, have a great rest of the week. 
Thanks, you too. Bye. All right. We are officially two episodes into this new thing. And uh, I got to say, you guys are stepping up with some excellent questions for the podcast. I have no idea where your curiosity is going to send me on any given week. And I love that. We all need a little randomness in our lives. So where do we go next? What do you wonder about life in the Baltimore region? What's your mystery that's got you scratching your head? You can hit me up with your question at wypr.org slash curiosity. There's a very easy to use form on that page where you can type your question in. You can also see other listeners' questions on there and you can vote for which story you think I should report next. Whatever's got you curious, I look forward to hearing from you at wypr.org slash curiosity. And uh, if you're so inclined, do me a favor and drop this new podcast a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help other curious folks discover the show for themselves. The Maryland Curiosity Bureau is an original production of WYPR. I'm Aaron Hinkin. Thanks for listening. Be in touch. And we'll do it again next week. The Maryland Curiosity Bureau is made possible with grant support from the Peel Center for Baltimore History and Architecture. Online at thepeelcenter.org.